TCU put one in the win column on Saturday, taking down FCS opponent Nichols 41 to six. But did we learn anything about the frogs in the process? We're breaking down TCU's win. Plus, Fox Sports wants to start a basketball postseason tournament. Hmm? All that and more right now on Frogs Insider. Welcome in to another episode of Frogs Insider. I am Jamie Plunkett here as always with Melissa Trevoiser. We are sponsored in part by Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods and Home Field Apparel. So shout out to both of them right off of the rip tonight. We're very thankful for both of those partnerships. And we're also super thankful for you, the listener. We've been growing this show very quickly over the last six months-ish, less since March, middle of March, end of March. Very thankful for everybody that's tuned in, that have subscribed to the YouTube channel, that have left us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Most of them, if not all of them, are glowing at this point. So thank you. And if you haven't done so yet, go ahead and subscribe. Leave us a review. Comment below on this video if you're watching us on YouTube and tell us how much you like the backgrounds in our uh, respective home offices. I got a pretty good, yeah. I got to close my closet. I just realized that, that oh. I've accidentally left that door open. Everybody can see where I just shove all of the extra boxes that I haven't looked at in years. But yeah, we all have one of those. Oh, I'll just like Photoshop it out or something. But um, yeah, so we got a, a couple things to cover on this episode, Melissa, talking about TCU putting one in the win column for the first time this year, which is always a good thing um, when you get a win as a football team, doesn't matter who you're playing. Uh, going to break that down a little bit. We're going to break down some college basketball news from the day. Um, we're not going to be talking about Mel Tucker outside of this one sentence. Yeah. Because that's, that's beyond the scope of this podcast. So we're just going to let that be what it is and let that yeah. thing sort itself out. Um, I've gotten multiple texts about that today. So we're just going to say that here and let that thing do what it does. Let the we'll be national... thankful we're not Michigan State right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, most importantly, though, Melissa as we transition away from Mel Tucker, um, we need a Trubies update. I know that you just told me before we started recording that things are a little bumpy right now. Yeah. First year program, there are going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. But give us a general update. Give us a general update. Yeah. So we came out, we had our first game of the season last Tuesday, as I I know you guys are all aware. You've been anxiously awaiting this update. Um, we, We had an incredible come from behind win. So down down 15 to six at the half or 15 to seven at the half, come back, win 21 to 14 Oof. was awesome. Um, I don't think the math works out on that, but something like that. We did win 21 to 14, how we got there, who knows. Um, but but unlike TCU against Colorado, we needed a, a drive to win it, to, to take the lead, got it. And we needed a stop to, to seal it. We did. And I got my first ever Gatorade bath and um, that was pretty cool. So it was, it was a fun, a great way to start the season. And then we went and faced, um, our big rival who is currently, uh, ranked in the top 20 in the state and number five in, uh, the section and had played 11 games and it was our second game. And, um, you can imagine that things went about as you could imagine that they went. So it was a rough day, rough day for the offense, rough day for the defense. Uh, didn't, didn't come away with the dub, but not a league game. So we're moving on, Jamie. It's a, you know, it's, it's a learning opportunity in game number two of the season. We got another big one 
probably today, as you guys are listening to this on Tuesday this week, um, a league game. Here's the fun part. I feel like uh, kind of 2015 TCU here. I'm down seven players, maybe Oof. eight. Yeah, seven and a half, eight. Uh, five of them are starters. I've got three starters out on defense. I've got my starting quarterback and my future all-conference wide receiver out on offense. Um, four four of them are on retreat. Uh, I've got my my another one of my receivers, my backup setter, also on retreat. And then we had two kids go head-to-head and concuss themselves in this non-contact oh, sport in our listen, second game. Listen, we got to talk to that strength and conditioning coach. We got to get these kids you. right. Yeah, it's – it's been it's been tough. So uh, we had another kid who she's also a wrestler. She tweaked her knee in a wrestling tournament this weekend. So she's a maybe. So we're you know we're falling apart at the seams. We're bringing we're bringing a, a freshman up to, to varsity for the week as a fill in. So that'll be fun uh, for her. Maybe not for us. Um, but we're gonna you know someone's got to step up. Someone's got to step up. So we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes the next two days. The next two games we got a big week. Uh, I, I've I've kind of I told the kids just the job is to go one and zero. Twice, right? There you go. And if we can, if we can get a split, we'll be in really good shape for the league. That's that's the goal right now. But I, I think we can, I think we can get it done. We got a home game tomorrow, home game Tuesday. That's that's a good good home field advantage. It's hot, so I think that helps us. So we'll we'll see. Well, you guys, just you know, thoughts and prayers to the Trubies. We we need some extra love and support listen, this week. Listen, as the saying goes, next woman up, next woman, next up. woman up, next woman up. Um, well, you know, we saw a little bit of next man up for TCU on Saturday against Nichols, uh, FCS opponent. There were a couple folks who did not get as many reps. There were a couple guys that were in street clothes, kind of as a precautionary thing for the frogs as well, specifically at the wide receiver position. We'll get into mm-hmm. that in a moment, but Melissa TCU wins 41 to six. They get over 440 yards of offense. They put up, you know, 41 points. And on the surface you say, okay, they, they won an FCS game by 35 points they did what they needed to do a lot of young guys got reps but i don't know how you felt at the end of the game i felt like it was not nearly as clean of a performance as we would have liked to have seen when you're talking about the competition level that tcu was playing on saturday night am i off base there or are you are you kind of with me there no i'm completely on the same page as you in that regard um you know tcu's first score came on a a block punt just a really nice special teams play uh, the offense really struggled early to get in a rhythm um, to kind of, and, and you mentioned there were some guys out and we're going to touch on this, but Savion Williams didn't really play mm-hmm. JP Richardson played, I think one snap um, or had one catch at least. And it was, you know, they kind of kept him out. He got banged up a little bit. They said, um, so they were missing, you know, two, two guys that, you know, Chandler's probably got a decent rhythm with, but it's, you know, it, it felt like the same thing that we said the week prior is that TC's offense got the job done done but it didn't feel like there was ever really a rhythm there wasn't this wasn't not a, a team that was playing with a lot of juice um mm-hmm. can i can i steal from our friends at purple theory podcast and just say the vibes were kind of off mm-hmm. i think you can uh you know and that's not in so many words the first question i asked sonny dykes after the game on saturday night was you know he was very critical of tcu's energy and effort in week one so obviously the first question in week two is how did you feel about the energy and effort this week compared to week one? And he was pretty honest. Again, you could tell that he was still not pleased with how his team had been playing through the first two weeks of the season. Uh, and he said that he thought it was better, but that there were still too many mistakes 
but they still weren't making the right decisions at times. And he finished off his answer with saying, if this is how we're going to play football this year, we're not going to win many games in the Big 12. And so he he understood coming out of that game that uh, there is still a lot of room for improvement on both sides of the football for this team. You mentioned it already. Special teams, I think, has done a very good job through two weeks. They blocked a field goal in week one. They had a long kickoff return by Major Everhart. Uh, a couple good punt returns in this game against Nichols. Like you mentioned, the block punt for a touchdown. Um, 57 teams, yard field goal. Yeah, 57 yard field goal from Griffin Cowell, awesome. which is a career long for him. Um, good to see him get back on the horse after missing a field goal in week one. So ultimately, outside of one missed field goal from Kell, special teams has probably been the most consistently good unit that we've seen through two weeks from this from this football team. Offensively, like you said, they struggled early, which was concerning against an FCS opponent. But I think the biggest concern for me was, and I'm going to get into some of the positives here in a second too, because there were definitely some positive takeaways mm-hmm. from this football game. The biggest concern for me, I think, offensively was the, the, the play of the offensive line. Mm-hmm. I mean – we can just be very honest here for a moment. The left side of the offensive line really struggled on Saturday night. Andrew Coker got beat by his man a couple different times. Uh, that's a little bit of, of a concern. Had a couple Brand- of false starts too, correct? He had, had one. Brandon Coleman got called for a holding penalty that pulled back a huge run from Imani Bailey. It would have been the longest run of the night. Um, that got called back because of a holding penalty on Brandon Coleman. There were multiple times where Morris got flushed out of the pocket when he dropped back to pass. And frankly, the run game was pretty not great on, on Saturday night. They averaged three and a half yards a carry. And that's with Chandler Morris averaging 10 yards a carry. And Chandler had 61 rushing yards. The whole team had, I think, 128, 129. So you take Chandler Morris out of the rushing equation, which isn't totally fair to do, but for, yeah. the, for the purpose of this, you had Amani Bailey, who had three and a half yards rushing on 19 carries. And then you had Trey Sanders, who had 13 yards on five carries. And then three more guys who were not Chandler Morris had at least one rushing attempt, but they all finished with negative rushing yards on the night. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a very interesting development from week one to week two when TCU ran the ball very effectively, over seven yards a carry against Colorado to not even muster half of that against Nichols is I think a point of concern at this point in the season when you're going to face a lot better defensive fronts pretty much from here on out. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think that kind of explains too why the rhythm was so off for this offensive unit as a whole, when the line isn't getting the job done up front, it sets the timing off on everything. And, and, you know, I think we did see, you know, a, a very vanilla, you know, kind of playbook, obviously against an FCS opponent. But mm-hmm. uh, once again, I, you know, the first score of the game comes off of a block punt. The second score comes off of a long Chandler run. We all wanted to see Chandler Morris run more in week one, but he had to run far too much in week two against an FCS opponent. And so I think just the, and you know, it is, it's a new offensive coordinator. You have a ton of new players on that side of the ball. You have a lot of transfers, um, you would like everything to kind of feel locked in by the time you get to opening week, but there is a reason, uh, there is a built-in excuse, I suppose, for things not quite clicking yet, but there's not a whole lot of time to get them clicking. Um, you know, Houston, you know, we, we, we'll talk about them later and, and they're, you know, week two, 
but after that you've got SMU and and then you get really hot and heavy to that big 12 schedule. And, you know, we've even seen the bottom of the barrel teams cause some teams problems, you know, Cincinnati had a, had a great win this past weekend. It's, it's not going to be, there's not going to be a lot of walkover walkover wins in this conference this year. It's pretty even, especially when you look at, you know, kind of those middle tier teams seem to all kind of have the same strengths and weaknesses. So um, it, it's really, it's very concerning to see the running game get shut down by an FCS opponent. It's very concerning to see the offensive line look subpar against an FCS opponent. Um, and, and it's very concerning that there just might not be a lot of leadership on this team if we're two weeks into this thing and we still aren't seeing them kind of get up for these games, regardless of opponent. They've had two games at home you should be able to get up for the opportunity to play college football. You don't get many of those opportunities in the season. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you lose, you lose a lot of vocal guys off of last year's roster, right? I mean, Trey Hodges mm-hmm. Tomlinson was a vocal leader on the, on the defense. So was D winners. You know, you're losing Max Duggan, who was one of the most vocal guys in the locker room on offense. You're losing Quentin Johnson, who was a vocal leader. You're losing Steve Avila and Alana Lee, who were veteran mm-hmm. leaders as well. And obviously there's going to be a void that needs to be filled. We think that there are guys who are capable of doing that on this roster, right? I mean, you've got Chandler Morris, who's been in the program for three years. He knows a lot of these guys incredibly well. Josh Newton has been well-documented as a vocal leader on the defensive side of the ball, as has Johnny Hodges. Um, it's a matter of, you know, I think I think it's a matter of not getting – too tough on one another it's a matter of just stepping up and trying to bring that energy in a, in a different way um, because as far as an energy standpoint is concerned it definitely hasn't met the standard the first two weeks of the season um, <clears throat> defensively I think it's always nice when you don't let an opponent score a touchdown sure that's a right. Good that's thing. always a good regardless thing. of opponent. Yeah. So six points on the board for Nichols. They didn't get in, in the end zone. Um, I, that's a win for this defense. I thought the tackling still has room to improve, but it looked much better than it did in week one. There were a couple guys who were still kind of diving at ankles that that's got to get cleaned up. Yeah. But the tackling looked much more sound. Um, secondary play was much more sound. There still was not a ton of pressure on the quarterback, though. Yeah. There were three sacks total and four quarterback hurries. And on the surface, you think, oh, those are decent numbers. But the first sack came from Dom Williams in the first quarter. And then the next two sacks didn't come until the final drive of the game for Nichols. And, you know, you just have you have a whole three quarters, essentially, where you don't get a, a ton of pressure on the quarterback. You don't sack him, at least. And you're only getting four quarterback hurries over that time span as well. And we saw that on, on one of Nichols' field goal drives in the second half where there was no pressure on the quarterback. He had five or six seconds to drop back and look around, and they converted three third and longs of nine or more yards on that drive. And Same thing that reared its ugly head in week one, which is so yeah. concerning. And so, you know, when you're, when you're committed to only rushing three, those three guys have to be capable of getting to the quarterback. We haven't seen that from this defensive line yet. So we'll see how that develops again. You've got another week of trying to figure some stuff out to get creative on defense to get some pressure on the quarterback because Houston's a team that can put up some decent points. They, they, I mean, they scored 38 in week two. They got a win in week one against a pretty defensively sound UTSA program. You know, you're, you're the, the, the competition level, regardless of what you think of Houston, steps up this week. Yeah. And, and so defensively, you've got to be able to, to game plan a little bit. And, and, and we'll see how that goes. I do want to mention, too, because I thought Chandler had a, a really good game 
on yeah. Saturday, 26 of 30 passing. Uh, like you mentioned, he ran five times for 61 yards, had a rushing touchdown, had a couple passing touchdowns, did not turn the ball over. Right. So that's always a good thing. And he said that was a point of emphasis for him this week uh, was to focus on ball protection a little bit more. We can talk about Josh Hoover and his two turnovers, yeah. but um, Ugh, you know, oh, fresh, the, so the, a couple, couple of nerves there from the, from the guy who hadn't seen any playing time yet. I can, I can kind of understand it sure. and he got those yeah. out of the way and made a really good pass later in his time out there on the field as well for a touchdown. But uh, I thought Chandler had a pretty good game. Uh, as far as the play calling was concerned, he was executing the plays really, really well. Right. He was getting the ball out on time. He was accurate with his throws. He ran when he needed to. I think he's gaining confidence in the run game again after coming off that leg injury last year. Yeah. Uh, he took a big hit in the run game and popped back up. Uh, so I think that that kind of maybe clears your head as a football player. Once you get hit and you get back sure. up and you kind of analyze, and you say, oh, I'm, I'm good. OK, now let's get to the next rep and let's do that again. Um, I would like to see the ball get pushed downfield more. Um, I think he had one or two opportunities where he maybe missed a guy downfield that that was open, but um, that's kind of picking at nits for, for the purposes of this game. Um, but uh, I thought overall Chandler showed, uh, showed some pretty good improvement from week one to week two. And so that's, that's something to build on for sure as well. Yeah. I think we saw his, his accuracy, right. On some of those routes, like, again, he wasn't necessarily pushing the ball down the field, but he threw the short and the intermediate routes. I thought a lot more cleanly. And again, you would expect that against the, a lower level, mm-hmm. lower tier opponent. Yeah. He didn't have to worry about Travis Hunter and the defensive secondary that helps everything feel a little bit better, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, you, you titled the segment, what can you learn from an FCS opponent? And I think that's, that's basically the thing, right? Is did they look better than they did against Colorado? Sure. Do we get a little redemption by Colorado coming out and stomping on Nebraska a little bit? Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, all, all they did this week was do their job, right? Yep. As, TCU did what it needed to do against an FCS opponent, got young guys some reps. They put 40 plus on the board. They didn't allow the offense to score a touchdown against them. Um, it, it's over. It's done. Wipe it away. Take the positives, but you still understand that that what what has been done is not enough to, you know, go out and win a Big 12 conference title this year. They still have a lot of work to do, and it'll be up to that team to, to take on a challenge in the week ahead. Um, you know, Houston has its own problems, certainly. Um, and and you know, I don't I don't know that um tc will be able to fully exploit some of their weaknesses but their job is to go down and uh ruin that that houston homecoming and and take care of business against an opponent that's certainly better uh than the opponent they played this week um and maybe not even as good as colorado but that's going to be really really charged up if tc is not ready for this one houston absolutely will be super super charged up for this game even if uh I heard today that they did not, they have not sold this one out yet, which is absolutely shocking to me, but I guess that happens when you lose tries. Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe there's a little bit of uh, uh, dissatisfaction, if you will, among the Houston fan base right now, but they are coming up on their first big 12 conference game ever that ever. And that's a, that's a big deal. I'm sure that stadium, the fans that are there were, are going to be, into it and uh, it's this it's the first road test for this version of tcu's football program i'm very intrigued by yeah. how all of that goes i know that you sat down uh with go Cougs to talk a little bit more about that game that's going to drop later this week um but melissa uh, before we kind of move on from this and talk about some pro frogs and stuff i do want to shout out uh one of our sponsors hell's half acre who uh, is a brand that was created with Horn Frog fans in mind, and each item that they sell 
makes a direct impact on TCU student athletes. You can actually see, oh, I don't have it. Never mind. I'm like going to kind of pivot away from what I was about to do. Um, but you can go to healthhalfacresg.com and check out all of their apparel, all of their tailgating goods and get prepped for game day the perfect way from polos to shirts to headwear to home goods. They've got everything you need to make sure that you're ready. Uh, I talked about it last episode and a couple episodes before the game day polo that they have for football this year is elite. It's such a good looking polo. Um, Go out and get it if you haven't gotten it yet. I think they've still got it in stock. Um, Hellshalfacre.com, hellshalfacresg.com. Go grab everything you need for DCU football game day. Very thankful for them to sponsor I, the pod. They, they, we have truly the greatest sponsors and we appreciate you guys helping us by supporting them. Um, Hell's Half Acre is a local brand, a local company, a good dude. Um, we are, we are super excited to be partnering up with them. Um, speaking of super exciting, you know, we are a college football podcast and we love college football, but mm-hmm. a little, a little league called the NFL got kicked off this weekend as well. And I will say why not many of the football games were all of that good. There were a couple of uh, TCU players that had some really, really nice weekends. Um, and I, I was down in the Bay area. Um, so I, I did not get to pay as much of attention to TCU's game. The first half as I would have liked, because I was trying to convince a two and a half year old, um, to, to, uh, watch football with me. Now I will say we did master the full go frogs. Uh, this has been a, a year long process. She got the go frog. She's pretty much got the hand side. She does it better than most people, at least at this point. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of my influence there. Um, but, uh, I did get to listen to quite a bit of NFL on my drive back. Uh, one of the coolest things was, uh, the Los Angeles or yep. Yeah, the Los Angeles Rams went up to Seattle and two of their five starting offensive linemen were TCU guys. And that was pretty freaking cool. Uh, Joe Noteboom and Steve Avila uh, got the start for the Rams and a big win at the Seahawks. I thought that was awesome. Um, the the other guys down in L.A. Uh, had a little bit of a quieter debut. Uh, QJ had two catches for nine yards on three targets. Darius Davis actually got a catch before Quentin Johnston. Um, he finished with one catch for five yards. And uh, I didn't get to, I was so bummed that I didn't get to watch that game. It was not uh, I don't I didn't pay for Sunday ticket and I'm regretting it because it looked like such a fun game. But the bonus coverage, like a back and forth, really good game between the Dolphins and, and the Chargers. Um, that unfortunately, for the TCU guys went the Dolphins way. Um, Kendrick Miller didn't play. He's banged up right now, which is a bummer as well, because he's got a good opportunity with Alvin Kamara out um, and, and uh, 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 Jamal John, right? No, Jamal. I can't remember the guy that they signed who's really into Pokemon and he's just uh, Williams. Williams, thank you. Um, had a had a big game for for the Saints. But we hope he gets back on the field. So a lot of TCU guys out there, a lot of TCU guys on rosters, handful of TCU guys um, on uh, practice squads. I did not, I, I forgot to check, and because I keep just being, I should be not amazed that Amari DeMarcado uh, made a team too. I'm not sure if he got a lot of run with the Cardinals. They had a nice little win too to open up the season, which is pretty cool. They did. Um, uh, you know, they're they're ruining their Caleb Williams sweet yes. just right out of the gate. It's pretty right scary. out of the gate. So he did, he did not get any carries for the, for the Cardinals, <laughs> but um, but they did get the W. So or no, they did. They lost. They lost. Uh, that's right. They were. Oh, the Commanders the ended game. up winning. There you go. Yeah, and, and again, nobody cares other than Amari Demacado being on one of those teams. So mm-hmm. um, really great to to see those guys. Uh, you know, it's got to be a pretty cool moment to walk out for your first regular season game. Um, uh, Quentin, I'm sure, is going to have a big season. I think as Justin Herbert gets more comfortable with him, he'll be a bigger part of that Chargers offense. They need to do something because they really struggled down the stretch. So. True. 
It's true. And, and, you know, it's, it's getting more and more fun to have pro frogs be like a year round thing, not just an NFL season thing. So when basketball kicks up here in a little bit and we're watching Desmond Bain and Kenrich Williams get after it. And now Mike miles with the Mavericks, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And obviously baseball is rolling right now. There are a lot of pro frogs playing baseball right now. And the NWSL is going, there's some pro frogs and does NWSL Messiah Bright's probably going to win rookie of the year in that league. So cool. Um, just really fun to keep track of, of where all these frogs are going and, and what they're doing post TCU because, um, uh, you know, they, it's always cool just to, to support those folks in the fold. And then also to see them come back on campus and support the current student athletes, the way a lot yeah. of them do, uh, it's also really neat and, and, and fun to see. Yeah. that's was out there for game one, um, for as part of the, uh, basketball reunion weekend, uh, Bauer had a lot of opinions on it. Um, he mm-hmm. it's funny because the, uh, the dog started barking cause, uh, he saw the Affleck commercial. He's really into ducks, I guess, or maybe Deion Sanders or Nick Saban. I don't know. Um, hey, a lot of people are into those last two guys. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's kind of a nice thank you Bauer for the segue uh, into <laughs> talking about some big games across the country, because all the talk was Deion Sanders is hot and Nick Saban, maybe not. I'm going to clip you saying Deion Sanders is hot and just use that as oh, an audio drop for the rest hey, of the year. Here's the thing. Like I had the biggest crush on Deion Sanders as a kid. Like, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but mm-hmm. like I, so I had three posters up in my room as a kid. From the time of, of being a 49er. Well, yeah. Well, no, I liked him from the time he was a Falcon. Like mm. I go back to like, like when he was in college, I knew who he was. And then there when he came go. to the Niners, it was like a dream country. I have it. I have it somewhere. His uh, Falcons and his um, Braves rookie card. Like I both nice. somewhere buried in a box. You got to um, get the, you got to get those things signed and, I know, and clapped I, up and I really hold wanted on to, to those go. Suckers. Yeah. I really wanted to go to his press conference last week, but then I felt guilty. Cause I was like, eh, TCU locked. I feel like I need to be in the, the TCU presser, but I really wanted to go hear Dion and I'm sad. I missed it, but no, I, I had Michael Jackson, which uh, did not, not didn't go well. That one didn't Madonna, well. Yeah. Madonna also did not really go nice. particularly well. And then Dion Sanders, like those were my favorite, like those were my, like the, the, the famous people that I like looked up to Look, or worshiped or whatever as a kid. One for three is not bad. One uh, for three is not bad. That was, if that was a batting average, you'd be in the hall of fame. So I, that's so true. So true. And maybe um, a home run, maybe hit a home run with Dion because man, like we, we all kind of like poo pooed on TCU and for good reason in week one, but Colorado, Nebraska was iffy, but, but Colorado put up a lot of points. 36 points on a really good Nebraska defense and mm-hmm. starting to think that they, the juice might be real here. Look, uh, before we get into that side of things, we do need to clarify just how miserably bad Nebraska is on offense. Yes. They're very, because bad. I think if you took the TCU offense and the Nebraska defense right now in this moment, that'd be a pretty dang good football team because Nebraska yeah. looked very good defensively against Colorado to start this game. I think yeah. they ran out of juice at a high altitude, especially in the second half because they, could not move the ball on offense at all. And yeah. those defenders played, I think, upwards of 80 snaps uh, in that Colorado altitude. That's tough to do. And then when you're doing it against a Colorado offense that we now have definitive proof is very athletic, yes. incredibly fast. They understand how to play into their strengths as an offense. Um, they've got a, a guy calling plays for them who is uh, very smart about putting them so in good. positions to succeed. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a recipe for disaster if you're an opponent. And that was the case for Nebraska on Saturday, Colorado 36, Nebraska 14, and it didn't even feel that close. 
Yeah. I really didn't. I, I watched pretty much every snap of this game and Colorado kind of controlled it from the jump and just did their thing and moved on. Yeah. It, it took them a little while to get that offense rolling. Like, like, you know, like you said, it, they didn't, they didn't come out right out of the gate and, and put points on the board. But once they got into that rhythm, man, it, it's, it starts rolling downhill and, and Dion to his credit, man, he's got, he's got those guys believe it. I mean, my favorite thing that came out of this game is that uh, Shadur Sanders, Deion Sanders, talking about all the disrespect that was was being shown and yeah. how Colorado Matt Rule disrespected them. But the quote that they were using, Matt Rule never mentioned the word Colorado at all. But there was a quote from the spring where he talked about he wasn't going to build his team through the transfer portal. And Dion got those boys to believe that that was a direct shot at them. Which to me is just like, like that is just, man, like this dude, when you talk about being able to sell ice, ice to you know, someone in Antarctica, like he's. That's Kirby. He's that's Kirby smart levels of motivation of, yeah. of you are being disrespected right there. Yes. Uh, Unbelievable. Very, very good job by Dion. I loved his critique of Shadur's primetime dance and zone yeah. dance. Uh, yep. Said he didn't, said he didn't get his feet high enough. Said it was horrible. Um, meanwhile, Shadur thought it was better than, than his dad's yeah. version. And, and he was flashing the rolly at the Nebraska players because they were warming up on the Buffalo on the field. Like, yeah. and, and then he ran out of gas, like on his way home too, and like posted a TikTok from the side of the road. So like the Colorado is, it, it is a, it is a reality television show that might actually be real. And I don't know how to deal with it. Like I, I'm like, I wanted to hate this. I wanted it to mm-hmm. be like watching a car crash. I am in love with this team. Like they are so fun to watch. They are they are Miami of of the early nineties. Like they are the bad boys of college football. And I maybe I don't know if they do as much cocaine. Um, well, I hope probably not. not. Probably, probably not. More, weed is probably legal. more weed. weed. Is legal. Yeah, but um, but I mean they they are disruptors, right? Mm-hmm. And for a sport that has been um you know it's so in flux to have somebody that's able to legitimately come in and kind of shake stuff up like i'm becoming a believer now they'll get colorado state they get game day and big noon saturday which is the most hilarious thing in the entire world for a game that's featuring colorado state um but then then the pac-12 then they get oregon and usc and we get to see like they're really going to be put to the test and i'm excited to see how that goes for them yeah yeah and how and how do they handle if it doesn't go well because i watched unfortunately watched a lot of the usc stanford game and yeah, we won't Tough talk scenes. about that. That's that's not on our list, so we can skip right past that one. Yeah, we're going to move right past that to the next score that I wanted to touch on is Miami 48, Texas A&M 33. And it was like going in a time machine for Miami. They were throwing yeah. the football all over the place against an yeah. A&M secondary that just – I mean, look, if you're going to hire DJ Durkin as your defensive coordinator, you better have a good yeah, defense. Reap, and So, yeah. It's- Tough scenes there. Bobby Petrino's offense looks a lot like Jimbo Fisher's offense as well. And you know that they're going to get questions all week about who's calling plays and who's really dictating what they do on offense and all that kind of stuff too. The thing to me that's most like, if I'm a Texas A&M fan, which thank God I'm not, but if I was like the worst part of this is Tyler Van Dyke had all day to throw. Mm-hmm. Like he get absolutely. <clears throat> and again, like uh, Mario Cristobal is an offensive lineman, right? So his offensive line, you know, is, is going to be good, but he, he had all day to throw and, Texas A&M has literally collected four and five star defensive linemen for the past five years Yeah, and could not get to the quarterback against the Miami team. That was very bad. I mean, they lost to uh, middle Tennessee state last year. Mm-hmm. This was not, and they, they did some portal replacement, but it's not like they remade the entire team on the fly here. This is a lot of the same guys. They got coached up better. They were more prepared Um, there. You know, they, they have, they've had more focus on the trenches, but at the same time, like if you're A&M, you've been paying all these guys and recruiting all of these guys, you got to be, pretty concerned yes. that you could yes. not beat Miami's offensive line. 
You should be. And, and that's that. to be fair to Miami, that was a point of emphasis for them. This offense yeah. was, how are they going to rebuild that? How are they going to grow some guys up? I think they did hit the portal a little bit when it came to offensive linemen specifically. And they obviously did a very good job of putting that thing together. Um, but I mean, if you're Texas A&M right now, you're looking at your schedule thinking like, goodness, like, are we going to, are we going to lose six, seven games again this year? Yeah. Um, even after rebuilding our whole, our whole assistant staff, essentially in the off season. Next up, the oh, team that God. we do we have to do this. <clears throat> we do have to do this because I have a question for you. And I think I know the answer. I know what my answer is. Texas 34, Alabama 24. Um, Texas looked legit against uh, an Alabama team that frankly has not been the same Alabama team we got used to for about a decade. Still probably a top 10 team in the country, um, but not the, not the definitive number one like they had been for so long under Nick Saban. I really have two questions for you. Did this game feel this? I'll start with this one. Did this game feel the same or different from Texas's win over Notre Dame a couple of years ago, where everyone also thought at that point, oh, Texas just beat Notre Dame. It was a great back and forth football game. This is the, the final signal that they are actually truly back. I mean, I wanted this to be that game because I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to remember what Notre Dame's uh, record ended up being in 2016, like six um, and six or four something. And eight. No, four they and went eight. four and eight. So, and, and Alabama is not going to go four and eight because mm-hmm. the, the one thing Alabama does is they, they stack depth in a way that even Notre Dame isn't able to do. Um, and so, you know, Alabama is not going to be four and eight, but, but Alabama might be 10 and two, nine and three, which is the mm-hmm. equivalent of being four and eight at Notre Dame, I think. So I hope that it's that game. But, but this is the thing I will say. Um, I think Texas is good. They looked prepared in a way we haven't seen under the previous two regimes. Mm-hmm. They had a game plan that very specifically attacked Alabama's weaknesses, and they were able to execute that game plan at a high level. Uh, they don't they didn't look like world beaters, but they looked excessively competent and very, very talented, which is probably enough to win them the big twelve. I think all of that talent they've been collecting, it's kind of like we were just saying about AM. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is that Texas now has a plan for how to use it. Yeah. And they were able to execute that plan at a very high level. I don't think Alabama is going to be a playoff team. Alabama is probably not even going to play for an SEC championship this year, would be my guess. I think they're going to lose two to three games. But you still went into Tuscaloosa mm-hmm. in that environment against a, a program that has is the bluest of bloods in this de- century, right? And looked like the better team for all four quarters and you you made another highly i think jalen milrow obviously has a lot of raw edges uh, mm-hmm. but you also made him look really really bad and yep. the quinn yours was awesome against mm-hmm. a talented deep defense like he did what he needed to do um i i'm not gonna say i, I don't I, I won't say that because i think it might be your second question but i don't think Texas has arrived, but I think what they've done now is can you, they've put the foundation that they can build upon, right? And now you've got to stack mm-hmm. wins. They're still going to lose one dumb game this year because they are still Texas, but this is a team that looks like it will be ready to matriculate to the SEC in a year. And that's, I think for Texas fans, I wouldn't start throwing around the Texas's back moniker, but I'd start to say, oh, there's competency in this program now to go with the talent collection we've been able to do for the last 20 years. 
Kansas plays in Austin this year. So just mark oh, that, thank God. Mark we that, got that on your one calendar. Um, <clears throat> no, I was not going to ask you if Texas is back because that's a, a worn out, worn out thing to say. I, I will say, and I've, you can, you can vouch for me here. I've said this for years and years and years when it comes to the university of Texas, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. 100%. I'll believe that the talent is there. I'll believe that the competency and the coaching is there. When I finally see a semi-finished, mostly finished product on the football field, we saw a mostly finished product on the football field on Saturday yeah. night in Tuscaloosa. That's just a fact, right? And my second question is more about the decline of Alabama as a dynasty, because I think that when a program is so, so good for so very long, the decline can almost be shocking, even if it happens slowly over time. And I think we're in like year two or year three of a real decline of Alabama football because that offensive line play from Alabama on Saturday night was nowhere near the standard that we are used to seeing from Alabama. Nowhere near it. And that was part because of the talent that Texas has accumulated up on their defensive front. Yes, they got some really good pressure on Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow has a lot of deficiencies, especially you know throwing a football. Um, but that offensive line did not hold up for Alabama pretty much the entire night. And that's just not something we are used to seeing from, from Crimson Tide teams. And I wonder if, uh, much like the decay of a society starts with you know various things here and there, does the decay of a dynasty start with, uh, within the trenches? And and if if the if the line play on both sides of the football for Alabama is not going to be at Alabama standard. I think we're going to start to see maybe over the rest of this season and over the next couple seasons, Alabama football take a dip, and well, and who knows what happens with Nick Saban after that? He's getting up there. Well, and I think that's the thing is it is that it's not just that Alabama has has taken a dip a little bit, which I think you're 100 percent accurate in saying, but it's also that other programs have the resources to catch up a lot more quickly, and we've seen what Georgia has done. You know, we've seen. You know, Ole Miss obviously hasn't won at that level, but they're able to recruit at a very, very high level. Um, mm-hmm. You know, LSU has had had some very quick success a year ago. We'll see what happens this year. But you you see a team like TCU, you know, get to the national championship game. Like it's very easy to buy your way to the front of the line um, if you have the resources in place or to to get like kind of catch lightning in a bottle in a way that wasn't true even just three to five years ago and so the advantage that Alabama had for so long is kind of being negated by NIL and the transfer portal Uh, Mm -hmm. I can't and I I was trying to find the exact number and I don't want to like throw some inaccuracies here but I saw something over the weekend on uh, Twitter where like Saban was like 13 and 0 or 18 and 0 against former assistants like to star and he's like three and three cents Mm -hmm. Um, and so his coaching tree is kind of finally caught up to him as well too I think which is which is a big uh, part of that, you know, Sark obviously spent time on on saving staff in, in Alabama. So, um, but but I think you're right. I, I think that that just the the complexity of this Texas team and, and just the com- the completion at each level that they have offense, defense, special teams, depth, um, coaching. Like they they do have all the pieces. Now that being said, anything le- after this win, anything less but winning the Big Twelve is a total failure of a season, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that's yeah. empirically true. Yeah, and, I, and think, they, I think so. They've never done it, so they've not done it in the modern era. And so since 2009, yeah, yeah. So this is that that ultimately becomes the question: is do you want this to be the pinnacle of your season, 
or do you want this to kickstart a special season? Um, Texas could easily be a playoff team at this point. They can probably lose a game and still be a play playoff team. Um, and they're not going to have a lot of challengers, you know, at the, the very tip top of the big 12. But what we've seen the previous, you know, 12 years is they don't need a tip top challenger. They just need to keep focused for 12 games. And that's something they've not been able to do. Yeah. Here's a pop quiz for you. And then we're going to move on to the next topic, which happened more recently. And you already know the day for one of these, at least. Texas winning the Big 12 or the last time Alabama lost at home to a non-conference opponent? Ooh. Ooh. I'm going to guess Texas winning the Big 12. I bet it's been a long time since Alabama's lost at home to a non-con. Texas won the Big 12 in 2009. The last home non-conference loss for Alabama was Louisiana Monroe in 2007. Nick right. Saban's first year. First year. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. Nick Saban's Crazy. first year there. It's the last time they had a non-conference loss at home. So tech. Texas doing some things that haven't been done in a minute to, to the Crimson Tide. Let's move on from having to say nice things about yes. Texas and say just terrible things about disparaging Texas Tech and things about other teams in the state. Yeah. Texas Tech and Baylor are both zero and two. It's a real shame. Um, so sad. I've, I uh, let's start with Baylor and Utah because neither of these teams looked very good. Both yeah. were playing backup quarterbacks. Neither backup quarterback looked like Ooh. they really had any sense how, of which way was up. How the heck does Utah have a walk on? At QB, I mean, this has been a program that's been consistently. Well, they've got they've got a redshirt freshman who is still pretty raw. They're not wanting to run him yeah. out there all the way. They did in the fourth quarter and ended up scoring two touchdowns in the last two minutes of the game to eventually win this football game. But uh, you know, I think for Utah, they they did dumb things throughout the game because yeah. they were trying to force the passing game. Yep. When in reality just run the football, right? Yeah. It's the same Baylor thing we said with, with TCU against, against Colorado. It's like, just run the football. It was working and it worked even better when they put the true, uh, the, the freshman kid in there, whose name is escaping me at this moment. And he had a really good second half of the fourth quarter there to help Utah uh, win. Baylor now has losses to Texas state and Utah on their ledger. There are a lot of conversations about Dave Aranda that Ooh. are happening right now. Um, some concern that he might not make it through the end of the season. What's going on there? That that's pretty concerning. Very different zero and two situation, I think, from what Texas Tech is facing right now. They lose in overtime on the road to Wyoming. That was a tough loss. They get. Uh, I'll be honest. I had them plus six against Oregon. That was probably the worst beat I've faced in a yeah, while. Yeah, that's a bad beat because they were playing. Beat. They were going toe to toe with Oregon who had just put up 81 points on their FCS opponent, Portland State, the week prior. Uh, they looked very good. That crowd in Lubbock was going crazy. Yeah. And then Tyler Shuck misses an open guy over the middle, doesn't see him, takes a hit, throws the ball. It's pick six, and they end up losing the game 38-30, to 30, even though they were down 31-30 to 30 with 35 seconds left. And that plus six would have covered. Would have been pretty dope. But it didn't, and life is pain and has no meaning. This is why I don't bet on sports, Jamie. This is, this is the reason. Um, I, I will say Texas Tech, uh, the loss at Wyoming is is bad, but you can kind of give it as a it's an away game. It's a it's a look ahead game. They I watched a lot of both of these games, like much to the detriment of my sanity and mental health. Um, Texas Tech is going to be a problem for people. Mm -hmm. Are are they going to make it to a Big Twelve championship game? I don't know. Would I be surprised if they did? Not whatsoever. Um, nobody's going to like playing them. And that Thursday nighter in Lubbock hanging over our heads, uh, I feel really badly about that right now. Uh, they they were 
it felt like they were getting dominated at times and they were never out of that game until the yeah. final seconds. Um, they can score so quickly. Uh, and honestly, they would have won that game if Maguire had not gone for it on fourth and three in their own territory. I think they would have legitimately won that game. That was, and and it's lived by the, the fourth quarter attempt mm-hmm. or fourth down attempt, die by the fourth down attempt. But man, if he just used a little bit, of, just a touch of common sense, like I love the aggressiveness, but just added a touch of common sense and game management there. You know, you know what they call a person who changes his game plan when situations get tight? A loser. A coward. Coward. You don't here- stop going for it on fourth down if going for it on fourth down is your bread and butter the whole the whole season last year. I mean, they they had one of the highest fourth down conversion rates in the country last season, and they went for it more often than not last season. I, I just- totally I, I understand that like that's a moment that cost them a little bit of leverage, especially in the field position battle. I I mean you don't throw a pick six in the final minute. You yeah. probably are moving the ball down the field. You move the ball all year or all day and you get a field goal. You win the game. So I just, I, I think that that's one of the questions and things that I've kind of heard is, is, you know, around coaching circles is, you know, Joey McGuire is so good at so many things, but when it, when it comes to, you know, the in game situations, was he mm-hmm. going to be able to adjust? And, I, and you're right. Like they, but they went for like last year, this year, two totally different things. They had no expectations last year. Now you've got that all on film and what you're going to do and what you're going to watch. I still love the aggressiveness, like I said, but I just, I wish there was some situation kind of just common sense put in there. Um, and I think based on my Twitter feed, which somehow has a lot of Texas tech fans in it, I think there was some agreement, but, but you're right. Like you are who you are and you have to be consistent with who you are. And eventually the odds are going to, probably be in their favor when it's all said and done. Um, and mm-hmm. it does get his guys excited to play. So it's, it's hard. It's easy to second guess from, from the couch. Right. But yep. um, that is, that is the team that they want to be. They, they've consistently been, and it worked for them quite a bit last year. Look, uh, it's, this is what you get for interacting with gambling gauchos on Twitter. So this true. Is, uh, this it's is so true. Same it's ruined everything. Same thing's happening to me. Um, TCU's next opponent, Houston. We're going to break them down later in the week. You sat down with go Cougs to talk about this matchup, but they fall to one and one on the season after a double overtime loss at rice. Yeah, so a double overtime loss that they only got to overtime because I, after going 28, down 28 to nothing in the first half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they got down to 28 back. to nothing. They, they come they back. back. Yeah. Here, here's the thing that's really interesting. And, and you know, I, I don't want to spoil too much of the interview ahead, but, um, you know, Dana, we always think, I think, of Dana Holgerson and kind of that air raid tree. But what he's been trying to build at Houston is more of a, a ground and pound um as as the Go Cougs correspondent said, um, three kneels downs and a cloud of dust is the offense that they've been trying to run here for the last couple of years. They brought in the right quarterback to do so with Donovan Smith, like that. He's the perfect QB to run that offense. But when you're going to fall down twenty eight to nothing, and you need him to throw you back into the game, it's tough. It's tough. Now he did it to his credit, but at the end of the day, uh, that is a very disheartening loss uh, and, and like let's give rice some credit they've got a former power five quarterback who i think has mm-hmm. played at every power five country team in the country and jt can daniels. you yeah sidebar can you explain to me how jt daniels is still eligible to play college football but tez walker is suspended for a season uh no you know why okay. because the ncaa sucks um they have they have luke mccaffrey who is a really talented player he's part of the mccaffrey family tree so like it's not like rice is devoid of talent so it's a it's a quality team but Houston cannot lose that game in their first season in the Big 12. That's that is a devastating, devastating loss. And like we mentioned, maybe the reason that 
um, they aren't apparently sold out according to um, mm -hmm. what, what I was told today by Gokugs. And just for anybody who hears what I just said in the podcast, it's like, well, the rules changed after JT. Jan the rules changed after Tez Walker transferred too. Yeah. He was the supposed rules to be constantly right? changed. <laughs> like, let's, anyways, I'm not going to get on that soapbox tonight. We're actually making good time right now. Yeah. Um, so, soapbox, I do want to get on. Hammer this, hammer this home field soapbox. I'm, so, I, as we are recording, it is, it is Monday night. It is uh, 6 49 Pacific. And I have an email. From Home Field Apparel telling me my bomber jacket will be delivered before 9 p.m. this evening. And when I say that I am so excited for this piece of clothing, now it's 97 degrees today. So when am I going to wear it? I don't know. That's a problem for another day. It's hotter in it's hotter in North Cal yeah. uh, North California than it is in Texas North, right now. It's North, 84 here. North Ca California? North, North California. That? Well, it's currently North, 80, NorCal. 89. NorCal, thank you. Um, but Home Field Apparel, um, Man, like we talk about this every week, uh, just the absolute softest t-shirts and hoodies in the game, uh, not just for TCU. You can get all of the gear for your favorite schools. Um, if your favorite school isn't TCU, let's have some questions. But um, if it is, they've got some of the best throwback logos. Um, I, I mentioned I was with my niece. I, I was wearing the, the Riff Ram frog, the sweater frog, and she kept pointing to it and going, what's that? And I'd say, let's go frogs. And she'd go, go frogs. So it's obviously it's corrupting the youth in the best possible way. Um, but, but constantly, right. Yeah. You've got the give them hell TC, the basketball frog, which is a great, a great shirt. Um, but some of the softest, highest quality, uh, just coolest looking gear around joggers, uh, quarter zips, uh, bomber jackets. They started doing these, um, these special boxes now for games matchups that I'm so jealous of, and I desperately want them to release for TCU. So um, when they do release it or anytime you want to pick up something from homefieldapparel.com, be sure to use our code frogs in 15 F R O G S I N one five for 15% off your first purchase, 10% off your second purchase and beyond uh, frogs in 15, save yourself a little bit of money, get yourself some home field apparel, be very happy and content for when fall eventually does come that you will be geared out in the best and softest sweatshirts, hoodies, joggers at all for your game day pleasure. All of it. And your non-game day. Pleasure. And your non-game day. I've it's not I game day right now. Seven home field shirts a week, I feel like. So there you go. It's good to do. We recommend it highly, highly recommend it. Um Melissa, the last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up this episode, though, is some very interesting news that Seth Davis reported earlier on Monday. Seth Davis, for those of you that maybe don't know, is a national basketball reporter. Um, he is now with The Messenger, which is a new publication that I'm not completely familiar oh, with. I was not um, even aware that that's where he was now. Wow. Yeah, I, right. I realized it when I clicked the link on his tweet earlier today, because I wow. still click on people's links on Twitter. I don't just retweet articles without reading yep. them, but that's Same. another soapbox for another day. Fox Sports is trying to coordinate a postseason college basketball tournament in Las Vegas featuring teams from the Big 12, the Big 10, the Big East, and prior to all of the chaos, they were trying to work with the Pac-12 as well that would take all of the top teams from those conferences who don't make the NCAA tournament and have a tournament in Vegas. Wow. And I retweeted Seth's article today and just said, this already exists. It's called the NIT. Yeah. And it's actually better than playing in Vegas because teams get to host games. Yep. And then they get to go play in Madison Square Garden, like argu awesome. arguably the pinnacle of the sport of basketball in America. 
And that's a pretty cool consolation prize for a team not making the NCAA tournament. But according to, to this article by Seth Davis, this would be a requirement for the teams from those conferences who are selected to play in this tournament. Like they would not be able to accept an invitation to the NIT. They would have to go to this tournament instead. And that just feels really, really weird to me that there's a TV media company who's trying to create a postseason tournament outside of the college basketball NCAA structure. It does feel like this is less of an opportunity to try to kill the NIT, the CBI, and more of a putting the structure in place to move away from the NCAA in the near future. Um, I think that's 100% accurate. Um, I think you bring up a good point. I think we like the NIT. I think fans like the NIT. I think teams like the NIT. If you're not going to play in the NCAA tournament, I, I got to watch TCU play Texas in Madison Square Garden. It was what? Fred, Fred Van Beat was Van Bleet was in my seat, and I had to kick him out. Uh, it was really cool. Like it was an amazing experience. Um, but what's also, Texas gonna do? What's Texas gonna do with their NIT appearances banner? If they can't play in the NIT, well, I guess they're moving to the SEC, and the SEC isn't a part of this, so they can still go to the NIT all they want. Uh, so that's, that's good. Uh, I, I think it, I think if this goes through, it will kill the NIT. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And and I think it's obviously that this is Fox. And like, I hate it, but also like, wow, Fox, that's pretty smart. Fox has made some really shrewd sports moves here the last couple of years. Um, I think it just, again, solidifies the fact that we're moving away from the NCAA controlling the major sports and we're moving mm-hmm. to more of an independent. Um, I mean, it's going to be a semi-pro to legitimately like an actual pro league. They'll still wear the uniforms that say Alabama and Texas and TCU. But at the end of the day, those entities won't really be a part of the university system. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what that does to the um, uh, academic side of this. If that's even going to matter, are you going to enroll kids in classes? Or are you just going to have people play for the TCU professional football team and the TCU professional basketball team? Um 2030 is kind of the next like dead drop here and all of these organizations that are putting um the the kind of the foundation in place in order to be ready for when the shoe does eventually fall are going to just be eating up gobs and gobs of cash um and moves like this just make it seem more and more likely if not assuredly that we are moving to a direction that will completely change the way we look at college athletics absolutely absolutely this is what this is is they're testing those waters to see how this goes. Um, I have a mantra when it comes to college realignment that all leaks are intentional. And I wonder if this is a float to see how, you know, kind of the, the public opinion of this, is it positive? Is it negative? Is it confusion Um, to see, all right, if we go forward with something like this, like what will be, uh, how will it be received by people who we want to be consumers of this sports content? And um I don't know how I feel about it yet. I'll be completely honest with you. Um, But I also know that for the betterment of TCU, maybe that I would prefer TCU to be in than out. Yeah. When all of this stuff shakes out, um, because I think what we're heading towards, and if you listen to anything that they've said on split zone duo for the last two years, they they've said for, for the last couple of years that this is kind of where this thing is headed. Um, if your team's not a part of this, what's going to happen to all of those athletics programs? Because yeah. there's going to be a significant funding disparity 
and you're probably going to see a lot of reduced Olympic sports programs at schools that are outside of this new structure, whatever it ends up looking like. So the um, gulf between the haves and the have nots is mm-hmm. only going to widen mm-hmm. over the next five years. Yeah. Uh, next, yeah. Next five to 10 years, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty crazy to see how things shake out. I know that there's at least one more conference probably on the Atlantic coast. That's not going to exist anymore, similar to the PAC 12. So yeah. um, <clears throat> we'll see how it all shakes out, but this is definitely a signal that all of the people who said things were going in this direction were, were right. And we're going to see how that all shakes out now and here, here in the coming years. But Melissa, I think that'll do it for this episode of Frogs Insider. Uh, thanks to everybody that listened. Um, we appreciate you greatly. Uh, make sure that you've hit that subscribe button on YouTube. We're over there at Frogs Insider. Make sure that you've liked and left a review wherever you get your podcasts. Share this episode with a friend. If you think that they need to hear our analysis of, of TCU's win over Nichols, or if they want to hear us talk, talk trash about Texas Tech and Baylor, send them this episode. Send it to a Tech friend. Send it to a Baylor friend. Let us... Let them hear us disparage their beloved teams. Um, <laughs> we have no problem. We have no qualms with that. They can still Not use. They can still use our home field code to get TCU gear when they eventually convert. Yeah, we um, would love to have it. Yes. So uh, we will be back on Thursday morning with our uh, Houston preview. I'll be doing another mailbag. Melissa, as we've mentioned a couple of times, sat down with Go Go Cougs folks to to preview that football game. So we'll have that for you as well. Um, so look forward to that. And until then, go frogs. Go frogs.